أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وآله الطاهرين السلام عليكم brothers and sisters and welcome to session number 14 of the A Lesson Per Page Quran program uh, We have reached page number 63 of the Holy Quran and so let us begin Page number 63 says division is off limits. Uh, you can say that the verse in this page is the maybe one of the most, if not the most, uh, I would like to say the most important verse of the Holy Quran when it comes to uh, unity amongst uh, the Muslims. So let us recite that verse and inshallah get into some details. This is verse number 103 of Surat Ali Imran. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم واعتصموا بحبل الله جميعا ولا تفرقوا واذكروا نعمة الله عليكم إذ كنتم أعداء فألف بين قلوبكم فأصبحتم بنعمته إخوانا وكنتم على شفا حفرة من النار فأنقذكم منها كذلك يبين الله لكم آياته لعلكم تهتدون Hold fast all together to Allah's rope and do not be divided. And remember Allah's blessing upon you when you were enemies. Then He brought your hearts together so you became brothers with His blessing. And you were on the brink of a pit of fire whereat He saved you from it. Thus does Allah clarify His signs for you so that you may be guided. As I said, this is, in my opinion, the most important verse in the Qur'an regarding uh, unity amongst the Muslims. It talks about how we have to cling to the rope of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So there, we want to see what this rope of Allah means. Allama Tabatabai, he explains how a rope is what connects two things, two people to each other, right? And so the rope through which we are tied to Allah, we are connected to Allah, Allah communicates to us through is the Holy Qur'an, Kitabullah. And we have hadiths for this in the Shi'i school of thought and in the Sunni school of thought. At the same time though, we do have other hadiths as well that have uh, identified the Ahlul Bayt salam to be uh, this rope of Allah as well. And of course, if you go by the hadith of Thaqalain, about how the Holy Prophet told the Muslims that I'm leaving behind two things that are going to be stuck to each other till they meet me um, on the Day of Judgment or in the hereafter next to the Hawd of Kothar, that pool of Kothar, then one can say that these are not conflicting. If some hadith say that it is the rope of Allah is the Book of Allah and others say it's the Ahl Bayt, uh, these two are always together until Hatta yarida alayya al until they join the Holy Prophet next to the pool of Kawthar, okay? um, according to what uh, is said to us by our scholars and the hadiths. Okay, so now, for now, what's very important is and what's for 100% sure is that this is the rope of Allah equals the Quran for sure, okay? If this is what that which we is going to bring us together. There's a lot we can take away from this verse of the Quran. I want to get to that. But first, I want you to pay attention how it says that, look, 
you all were enemies. So now the Prophet, when he went to Medina, those two main tribes of Aus and Khazraj, for example, they were at each other's throats for decades, if not centuries. And they were always at war with each other and bloodshed and so on. It was impossible to bring them together, really. The Prophet is so great. And the message he comes with is so great to the extent that the, he is able to bring these two tribes that have been shedding each other's blood forever, bring them together. We have another verse in the Quran, Surah Anfal, verse 63, which uh, sheds light on this, on this fact that this was an actual miracle that they came together. It says, uh, addressing the Holy Prophet, the Quran says, لَوْ أَنْفَقْتَ مَا فِي الْأَرْضِ جَمِيعًا مَا أَلَّفْتَ بَيْنَ قُلُوبِهِمْ If you had given everything on the face of the earth of money and wealth, you would not have been able to bring their hearts together. right? The only thing that brought them together, O Prophet is you, your character, you, your whatever you had to offer of the message of Allah. In other words, it's all Allah through you. And so it's a miracle really. It's a miracle that they came together. So does the Prophet, when he brings the Ummah together like that, despite all of the difference they might, differences they might have during his lifetime and even after his lifetime, does he want them to divide and split up to the point where they are like enemies again? Of course not. That goes against the whole purpose. The whole purpose was to bring everyone together. And then now all of a sudden everyone is separated from each other. But now let's see. What is the criterion this verse mentions? It's very clearly saying, Stick to the Qur'an. That should be what is bringing you all together. It is like that thread that goes through your dhikr beads, your tasbih. The tasbih is 99 uh, beads. What brings them all together? Just one thing, one, one little tiny string. Well, for us as beads of a tasbih, inshallah, us, uh, the Muslim ummah, that, that rope that brings us all together is not race or ethnicity or color, skin color, or the numbers, this minority, that majority, Shi'i, Sunni, it's not these things. What brings us together, according to this verse, should be Hablullah, which is the Holy Qur'an. Um, and so I want to remind you all of page 58. There we had the lesson of coexistence with who? With Ahlul Kitab. Yes, uh, the verse said, Ta'ala ila kalimatin sawa'in baynana wa baynakum. Let's come together over one belief, over one word that we agree on. That we only worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we don't ascribe partners to him until the end of the verse, right? Over there, it was interesting. After the whole story of Mubahala and all of the debates between the Prophet and the Christians of Najran, after all of that, and they still you know, refuse to accept the truth, the Qur'an said, let's still find some common ground. Now, I want to now zoom in, and I wanted to talk about this there, but actually it's better that we're talking about it here under this verse. Over there, we're talking about the Christians and the Jews and Ahlul Kitab. That we can still come together over what? Over Tawheed, right? We can still come together over Tawheed. But what happens is, 
we're not willing sometimes to come together over what? Over the fact that we share the same Allah with my fellow brother Muslim, uh, my fellow a Muslim brother or sister. The fact that we believe in Tawheed and Allah the same, we believe in the same Qur'an, we believe in the same Kaaba and Qibla, we believe in the same Prophet we believe in the fact that we have to all love Ahlul Bayt of the Holy Prophet Is this not enough? If we can coexist and get along with Ahlul Kitab because of one common denominator that we have with them, then how is it that we can't do this when it comes to the Muslims themselves? Now, of course, I'm not downplaying the differences that we have because, yes, there will be differences. There will be major differences between the different schools of thought. Um, but at the end of the day, these are the commonalities that I just listed, like five or six of them. So this should be enough. If that's enough to coexist with Ahlul Kitab, then this should be enough to not just coexist, but to you know be on the same page to an extent and to have unity. Some people are hesitant to use the word unity. Whatever you want to use, fine. I'tisam bihablillah and adam tafarruq clinging to the rope of Allah, clinging to the Qur'an and not separating and dividing. That's what matters. Whatever you want to call it. You want to call it coexistence? Call it coexistence. Uh, between, for example, Shi'i and Sunni. If you want to call it uh, unity, then call it unity. Whatever you want to call it. We don't, we don't care about names and titles and terms right now. Terminology. We're talking about getting it right. And this is what it's saying. Let the rope of God bring you together and don't divide. Okay. The problem is that in this day and age, we have a lot of ignorant people out there representing different denominations of Islam. Social media doesn't make it any better. People say whatever they want without even thinking about the implications of what they're saying. They speak provocatively, disrespectfully. Well, what's going to happen? What's going to happen is when a Shia, for example, who is quote-unquote representing Shiism, speaks ill, speaks disrespectfully, slowly, I don't know, boldens things that aren't even a priority in Tashayyur and Shiism, what happens is slowly the people who are listening to this person who is representing the faith, they'll, they'll start questioning the fact that, hey, are you even Muslim? <laughs> The way you are slandering, the way you are speaking, the way you're... And vice versa. Sometimes it'll be the, the, the case with uh, people who are not of the Shia uh, denomination. Same thing. I'm not trying to call anyone out in particular here. We all are making mistakes, it seems, in this day and age of communication and social media. And it reaches a point where they just start calling each other kafir, unfortunately. Everyone is trying to cling to the Qur'an at the end of the day, there will be different interpretations and understandings of it, but at the end of the day, everyone is clinging to the Qur'an. So do we have what it takes? Do we, are we, do we have the criterion? Yes, we do to be one ummah. But other things cause us to start doubting, and that's the problem, brothers and sisters. When you start doing takfir of each other, questioning the Islam of each other, I can't have unity or coexist with somebody who is not even a Muslim. That's the problem. The criterion becomes other things. Our emotions get the best of us. Takfir takes place. Calling each other kafir takes place. Once someone's kafir, of course, there's no compatibility, right? What unity? And it makes it even worse when scholars even, or speakers and lecturers, 
kindle this fire, fan the flames of this fire of sectarianism. Sometimes they might even say, we're not even after causing sectarianism, but the way they speak of other schools of thought is going to make them upset or will uh, compromise the sanctity or, or the, the uh, respect that they will have, that they have towards certain aspects of their faith or figures of their faith or their school of thought. And so what happens as a result? The ignorant ones of that, the ignorant ones of that side, who get when, when they get offended, they'll say, "Oh, these people are kafir." And this happens with even speakers sometimes, lecturers. We have to be careful about these things because once the scholar, the only ones who can fix this problem of telling their people, "Hey, like, what do you mean kafir? What do you mean non-Muslim? What do you mean?" They believe in Allah. They believe in the Holy Prophet They believe in resurrection. They believe in the qibla. They believe in all these things. They believe in, in, in respect of Ahl Bayt and love of Ahl Bayt. What else is there? Just because of uh, certain tenets versus other tenets of each of these schools of thought, then we just put everything aside. It just doesn't make sense, brothers and sisters. So the scholars have to be very important, uh, very, excuse me, very um, careful here. They play a major and important role in all of this. And so they're the ones who have to now designate exactly and draw the lines exactly where Iman is versus where Kufr is and not let their people just easily dismiss others as Kafir Kafir. If we do this our criterion has changed and that which the Quran is telling us. The Quran is saying what that which brings you together is the Quran. Well all of these people who are calling each other Kafir are people who are adherents of the book of the Quran. And so the enemies of Islam stand back and watch and just, you know, laugh at us and and take and make the most and take the, take advantage of this situation that the Muslimin are in. It's very sad. Um, there are stories about this that I don't want to get into. There's we we don't have enough time to get into, but I think that should do the job of really driving this idea home of how the Quran is giving us the criteria. And I think it's very easily identifiable to see who is trying to cling to it versus who just throws it away and doesn't care about it. Page number 64 of the Holy Quran speaks about how, well, a lesson that we can get from it is that Allah is always fair and keeps the balance when calling people out. All right, so people will do certain things that will go against what Allah wants from them and Allah is going to be very angry with them. But this never causes Allah not to stay fair, keep a balance. Okay, so now we have a certain situation here that the Quran is going to be talking about. I just want you to pay attention to how Allah, uh, what Allah's approach is to this matter when He's calling a, a certain group of people out. So, so let's recite the verse first. These, this is verses 113 and 114. Of Surat Ali Imran. It says, "Laisu sawa min ahl al-kitab ummatun qaimatu yatluna ayat Allahi ana al-layl wa hum yasjudun. Yuminun bil-lahi wal-yom al-akhir wa yamurun bil-ma'roof wa yanhaun an al-munkar wa yusariun fi al-khayrat wa ulaika min al-salihin." Yet they are not alike. They are not all alike. Among the people of the book is an upright nation, 
They recite Allah's signs in the watches of the night and prostrate. They have faith in Allah and the last day and bid what is right and forbid what is wrong and are active in performing good deeds. They are among the righteous. All right. So, in this verse, this verse is a, these are these two verses actually, they are a continuation of uh, some previous verses. And those previous verses are speaking about some of the Ahlul Kitab. These Ahlul Kitab, Allah is very upset with them. Okay? <laughs> Yes, verse number 112 is speaking very uh, in a very harsh tone about them. All right? Why? Because they were it says they were killing the prophets, rejecting Allah's signs and so on and disobeying God. So Allah's very upset with these people. So while he's upset with them and wants to just call them all out and is calling them out Allah knows that there are some amongst these Ahlul Kitab, some amongst these Yahud maybe, who are good individuals. He makes that clear. Okay, He makes that exception. He says, they're not all alike. True that they were killing the prophets. True they were disobedient. True they're rejecting my signs and all that. But that's not all of them just letting you know. He didn't have to tell us this because he's talking about the bad ones, right? But he makes it clear when he's calling them out. When he's calling a group of people out, he makes sure to let us know that there are some of them that are good and they have these signs. Look at that. Isn't it beautiful? That they recite Allah's signs in the watches of the night. They prostrate to Allah. They have faith in Allah. They enjoy in good. They forbid evil. Mm. We have this in other places as well in the Quran where Allah, he's talking about people, he's upset with them, yet he makes sure to make it clear that, look, not all of them are bad. Surah Hujarat, Verse 4. During the Prophet's time, they would come to the Prophet's house or home, they would call him out or call on him. Oh Muhammad, Ukhruj ilayna. Muhammad come out upon us. We want like we want to talk. <laughs> and they would raise their voices. And this was wrong. This is disrespectful to the Holy Prophet. And so the Qur'an scolds them a little bit. He says, these ones who go and just call out, أَكْثَرُهُمْ لَا يَعْقِلُونَ Most of them, they don't know what they're doing. He could have said, they don't know what they're doing. But he said, most of them. To keep the respect for those who might not be paying attention when they're doing this, right? Or mistakenly are doing this. Aren't aware that this might be just disrespectful. They're just doing it because that's just how they call out their other friends. They call their other friends, you know, with a loud voice and you know, shouting maybe even. But there are some that they know they're supposed to keep the respect. So Allah is scolding some of them to make sure to make it clear that look, not all of these people are bad. This is how this is how you're supposed to be, as the Lord, all the way down to as the leader of the people, as a prophet. For the people, these are things that you have to be careful about. And then it comes down, down all the way to us as well as Muslims living in communities and having centers and so on. How much benefit of the doubt do we give people? Allah is giving benefit of the doubt. Allah is saying, أَكْثَرُهُمْ Most of them don't know. That means what? That means that there's some who do know what they're doing. Um, it's just that they're not paying attention maybe. Yeah? Things like that. 
do we also just or do we just paint everyone with one brush when we're angry at, at a group of people or no do we make these exceptions are we careful in how uh, we talk about people this is important so the verse is talking about Ahlul Kitab and all of that but what we're getting out of this is that we need to try our best to always leave a little bit of room for a little bit of an exception for some people why because there might be some who we cannot apply what we say of negativity towards them, yeah, we can't apply that to them. And so we have to be careful. And that's why you find like sometimes, even our scholars, like when they're answering a question that you may ask them, although they're confident in the answer, in the end they'll say, Wallahu al-alam, Allahu a'lam, Allah knows best. Leaving a little bit of room just in case I'm wrong, you know, just in case. Now in, in, the, in the case of Allah, it's not that Allah might be wrong. He's doing that out of respect for some of those who uh, what he's saying of negative things doesn't apply to. Sometimes though, for us as fallible beings, we'll have to leave room for error for ourselves as well. These are important little etiquettes of, of speech. These are etiquettes of dealing with people that we have to be very careful about. Page number 65. What a waste. So you think about it. You have, you have planted so many trees and you have such orchards and, and, and crops. Yeah? But then what you do is, or what happens is, a cold wind comes and just destroys all your crops. Yeah? This happens, uh, those of you who like gardening, this happens a lot in the beginning of, when, uh, you know, spring, when spring is coming, this happens. And also when fall is coming, this happens, where you'll be planting, let's say, I don't know, some basil, okay? And the temperature drops be below like 50 or 45 degrees. And all of a sudden you wake up in the morning to find that your basil plants that you had taken so much care of, that had grown so much and had so many leaves, now all of a sudden they're all, they've all died out. They've frozen to death overnight because of uh, the, 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 the cold winds that hit them. How horrible is that? How... How destructive is that for a person? How much does that hurt of somebody? Well, Yawmul Qiyamah, something like this is going to be happening for certain people. Verse number 117 of Surah Al-Imran. وَمَا ظَلَمَهُمُ اللَّهُ وَلَكِنْ أَنفُسَهُمْ يَظْلِمُونَ So the example of what they spend or the parable of what they spend in the life of this world, who's it talking about? It's talking about the kuffar. Those who know the truth, they turn away from it. The parable of what they spend in the life of this world is that of a cold wind that strikes the crops of a people who wronged themselves destroying it. This wind destroys the crops. Allah does not wrong them, but they wrong themselves. These people, it's as if they have these crops that they have spent so much on and put so much time and energy into to take care of, but all it takes is a wind that comes that destroys it all. You see, brothers and sisters, the verses, the context, let me give some context here. It's talking about الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا those who, are, those who have kufr, those who they turn away from the truth. Kufr means to cover something. 
They cover the truth. They cover the truth from their eyes. They don't, they, although they know what the truth is, they don't embrace it. They don't accept it. These kuffar is what the verses are talking about. Now, these kuffar sometimes they'll give you their wealth for certain initiatives, for certain good, even maybe. Sometimes they'll do it just to show off, even, right? But sometimes they give it for good reasons. All right. So these people. Is that going to help them on the Day of Judgment? Well, it's like crops that they are planting, but because of their kufr, all of it will be ruined. On the Day of Judgment, when they go and they are expecting to see the fruits of their crops, they'll see nothing but destroyed crops. That's all they'll see. And that kufr that they had is like a cold wind that comes and destroys everything. That's how it's going to be for them. It says, this verse is saying, so they gave dunya, brothers and sisters, they gave dunya. They spent wealth even maybe for good causes sometimes. Okay? They helped a relative out, you know, or they, I don't know, built something for people, right? If, assuming they didn't have the intention of showing off and getting people's praise in return, and they did it just because it was something good, because they're against Allah, because they're against the Holy Prophet at best, I will say, Allah might compensate for that in this life for them. Maybe give them good children. Maybe, I don't know, give them an easy death. We have hadith for this. But that's about it really. But Yawmul Qiyamah, what do they see? They will see destroyed orchards and crops with no uh, benefit for them. Why? Because one of the conditions for your crops to grow, just like how you have to water your seeds and they won't grow on their own, or you have to cover them up when there's cold winds. These are conditions for your crops to flourish. That same way, there are conditions for your good deeds to yield their fruits, to have the results that you're after, or else they won't. All right, so for us, brothers and sisters, now this is talking about the kuffar, of course, the main condition of your a'mal getting accepted, your good a'mal and good deeds getting accepted is what? Is to have the right faith, without a doubt. To believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to do things because He has said so. That is going to, inshallah, inshallah, guarantee that it's accepted. For sure, that is a condition. But there are other conditions as well that we don't want to, on the Day of Judgment, notice that, oh my God, you know, some of the good deeds I had are also gone down the drain, right? Now, inshallah, we won't be like this person who is a kafir and loses everything, but we don't want to lose anything, guys. We don't want to, make, we want to make sure we take in everything that we've sent to that side. So for us, we have to make sure that we're not sinning. As we do good things, we're not doing bad things next to it. You know what it's like? It's like a person who's on a diet, and is um, exercising a lot and sweating a lot, but at the same time, we'll have that donut, we'll have that fried chicken, we'll have that ice cream. Well, you're just burning off whatever you're taking in. You're burning off your dietary calories. You're not going to be able to burn off um, saved calories and fat that you have stored in your body. Stored calories. You won't because it's just in and out, in and out. Good calories coming in and you burning them off. Best case scenario, you're not adding any weight to yourself. 
but it's super hard. You're going through all this hardship to lose weight, and but you can't because of all the wrong that you're doing. Sins are like that, brothers and sisters. We do good deeds, but then we bring in this mud and dirt and filth of sins. Of course, these are going to taint the good deeds that we have. And that takes me to the story of Habil and Qabil. Those two sons of Prophet Adam السلام, where they, they, they both did a good deed. They made a sacrifice for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So one of them, his sacrifice was accepted, the other one wasn't. The Quran says, فَتُقُبِّلَ مِنْ أَحَدِهِمَا It was accepted from one of them and not the other. Qabil's was not accepted. قَالَ لَأَقْتُلَنَّكَ He said, I'm going to kill you out of his jealousy. I'm going to kill you. But what is the answer Habil gives Qabil? Do you know why? This is the answer he gives him. He says, do you know why yours wasn't accepted? Innama, verily, only Allah accepts yataqabbalullahu minal muttaqeen. Allah only accepts from those people who are God-weary. They're careful when it comes to the do's and don'ts, the wajib and haram. They're taking care of that. They're not sinning. And even if it happens that they do, they get up right away and they get back on their feet and they do tawbah and repent to Allah and try to make uh, make it up. These people... The muttaqeen are the ones Allah accepts deeds from. So brothers and sisters, next time I want to do a'mal, if I really want to make sure that it's accepted by Allah, what do I do? I'll try to fix up the wajib and haram throughout the day that I have, that I have to observe so that the good deeds are accepted. I'm not saying, brothers and sisters, that if a person sins, then nothing's accepted from them. Not necessarily. I'm not God. God is the ultimate judge. But throughout the Qur'an and in verses of the Qur'an, you will find this idea of how Allah accepts from the muttaqeen. It might be better to do smaller good deeds, but have taqwa next to them, versus doing very big things, but you know, sinning and being sloppy in my wajib and haram life. Yeah? It's, it might be better to do it like that. Because the last thing we want is to give from what we have in this life only to go on the other side and say, oh my God, like where are my crops? Where are my orchards? Inshallah, that never happens to any of us. Alright, page number 66. The Battle of Badr. An example of how Allah does it. So these verses that we'll, we'll talk about, these are, um, they're coming after uh, how the Qur'an speaks of the Battle of Uhud. In the Battle of Uhud, when it happened, the Muslimin, of course, were defeated. We usually know the story of that and how they were victorious in the beginning, but their negligence caused them to get in trouble and lose the battle eventually, this Battle of Uhud. Now, something happens here. And that is that the mushrikeen, they leave the battlefield after they're victorious. And so when they're going back, they come to the conclusion that maybe we should return to Medina and just you know, finish off the Muslims altogether. Why are we leaving so soon once we've, once we're, once we've become victorious in this battle? Why should we just, uh, why, why are we going back? We left the battlefield too soon, right when we knew we were victorious and the Muslims were fleeing. We left also. 
We're like, okay, we're, our job is done. We, we, we avenged the death of our uh, champions of Badr, who died in Badr. No, no, let's go back and uproot this problem of Islam and Muslims once and for all. So these mushrikeen, after the Battle of Uhud, who were victorious, they make a U-turn, so to speak. And they come back for the Muslims. Now the Muslims, what are they going through? What the Muslims are going through is, they've been defeated, they've lost Hamza Sayyid al-Shuhada, they've lost others in this battle. They're mourning, they're upset, they're injured. Yeah, some reports say that Imam Ali had like 60 wounds on him. Others also, they were wounded. They're depleted of energy. And now they've gone back to Medina, defeated. So even uh, morale-wise, they're not doing good. Now what happens is, the Holy Prophet is informed. He's informed that the mushrikeen have made a U-turn. And they're actually coming back to finish off the Muslims altogether. So what happens here is the Holy Prophet orders his people and this injured army and broken army to saddle up, get ready to go back and fight the mushrikeen as they're coming. Wow! You want to go get your rest? You want to take care of your wounds and all of that? You're telling us to go back and fight again? Yes, don't worry though. Why? Let's recite the verses. Verses um, 123 to 125 of Surah Ali Imran. <laughs> بَلَا إِن تَصْبِرُوا وَتَتَّقُوا وَيَأْتُوكُمْ مِنْ فَوْرِهِمْ وَيَأْتُوكُمْ مِنْ فَوْرِهِمْ هَذَا يُمْدِدْكُمْ رَبُّكُمْ بِخَمْسَةِ آلَافٍ مِّنَ الْمَلَائِكَةِ مُسَوِّمِينَ So, the translation reads, Certainly Allah helped you at Badr. When you were abased, when you were low, you were nothing. Everyone thought you were, you were going to lose. You were the underdogs. Allah helped you in Badr. Now that it's time to go back and fight again after the battle of Uhud, don't worry. He helped you in Badr, so He'll help you here. So be wary of Allah, have taqwa, so that you may give thanks. When you were saying to the faithful, okay, so when the Prophet was saying to the faithful, so the Quran is reminding the people who have to go back and fight after Uhud, is reminding them of what the Prophet was telling them in the battle of Badr when they felt like they might lose, when they were the underdogs. When you, O Prophet, were saying to the faithful, is it not enough for you that your Lord should aid you with 3,000 angels sent down? Like in other words, aren't, don't you think that's cool? Don't you think that's good? Aren't you interested in Allah sending 3,000 angels down to help you? You're only 313. That's like 10 times more your number in angels. So it's reminding them of that of how Allah did it then, and how how is He going to do it now? Because this is even harder maybe, because they're all injured and broken, and they have to go back and fight this victorious army of the mushrikeen after Uhud. It says, yes, if you are steadfast and God-weary, 
And should they come at you suddenly, because they made a U-turn coming back, right? Your Lord will aid you with 5,000 marked angels. Okay? So that was the Battle of Badr. If I can do it in the Battle of Badr, I can do it after the Battle of Badr in the Battle of Uhud, Allah is saying. This is how Allah helps brothers and sisters. Allah helps in unseen ways. We don't know how it works with Allah. All we know is, He says here, and this is a rule for, it's a universal rule actually. These are the conditions for Allah to help, for Allah to do His thing. What are, what are those conditions? Bala. In tasbiru wa tattaqu. Two things. You have to have patience, number one. Number two, you have to have taqwa and go by that which Allah wants you to go by. Do your responsibility, your due diligence. And it's going to take patience. Both of these have to happen. So I can't expect for... And this, this, even, this even applies to spirituality and spir spiritual wayfaring. A person can't expect to do two Salat al-Layls and then all of a sudden like I'm seeing God or something or seeing some angels or something. No, that's not how it works. It takes sabr, it takes taqwa and you have to continue this path and then Allah will show the way. Sometimes Allah won't. Who cares? As long as I'm doing what I have to do. Remember we had a page that we discussed in which we discussed how sometimes even prophets of God reach a point that is their breaking point. They're like, when is God going to help us? Doesn't matter. Keep going. Keep grinding. But Allah, when He does help, this is what it looks like. I mean, the tables turn. Tables turn. And so what happened in the battle of Uhud, or excuse me, after the battle of Uhud, the mushrikeen were coming for the Muslims. When they found out that this army that's already beat up is coming back to fight them, they're like, whoa, whoa, we're not interested. Like, what are these people, what are these people all about? They, we, we defeated them and we killed some of their most important uh, champions and these guys are coming back again? Whatever, we're not interested. Let's just go back to Mecca. right? So they went. Allah helped the Muslimin here. Now the Muslimin are going to be like, oh, they got frightened, they left and all that. Some, some of the Muslims might have thought like that. But no, 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 no. According to this, there was something Allah was doing here. And so these guys left. They were frightened. Uh, the mushrikeen of Uhud and they went back to Mecca instead of continuing en route to Medina to uh, finish the job and finish off the Muslims. And this reminds us of the famous verse of Surah Fussilat, verse 30, where it says, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ قَالُوا رَبُّنَ اللَّهِ ثُمَّ اسْتَقَامُوا عَلَيْهِمُ الْمَلَائِكَةِ That, look, those who say, Allah, Allah is our Lord, and we know that this is going to come with baggage. We're going to have to be careful. We're going to have to take care of ourselves. We're going to have to defend ourselves and protect our families because we're Muslim. These people who say, Allah is our Lord, and then they have istiqamah. Yeah, we have this word, I think, in Urdu as well, as in Farsi and in Arabic, istiqamah or istiqamat which means to be resilient, which means to stand up and be steadfast, right? These things, these are, these are, uh, this is the condition after we believe, this is the condition. To have resilience, patience, work hard. These people, this verse is saying, what happens as a result of them 
acknowledging Allah and being resilient, تَتَنَزَّلُ عَلَيْهِمُ الْمَلَائِكَةِ The angels descend upon them. This isn't speaking about a certain battle or a certain scenario, brothers and sisters. It's talking general here. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ قَالُوا Those who say this, and then they are steadfast. That's all that matters. Whether it's in your studies, Oh Allah, I am studying hard to get good grades. So what? So that I can be successful in life. So what? So that I can have a halal livelihood. I'm doing this for you and your satisfaction. This person makes this decision and lives up to it, has istiqamah for it. Inshallah, tatanazzalu alayhimul malaika. Yeah? Things like that. It seems that this verse applies to a lot more cases than just battles. Okay? Uh, so we shouldn't lose any hope when things get tough and rough and the going gets hard on us. We have to remember, if we're doing it for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the harder it is, inshallah, the more rewards we get and the more support we get from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whether through angels or any other means. Alright, so now that we're on the Battle of Uhud, page number 67 also is going to be speaking about that, but looking at it from another angle. Page number 67 talks about the ups and downs of life are for everyone. Allah wants to see how you deal with them. These ups and downs, how are you going to deal with them? That's the question. That's why we're in the dunya, brothers and sisters. We're in the dunya because stuff happens in the dunya, because there are ups and downs in the dunya, or else how's Allah going to see how we react to things when everything's perfect? right? If I have all my food, I don't have to work for my food, and uh, you know, I just sit there all day and I have a lot of entertainment and halal entertainment yeah, that uh, is so diverse that I never get bored of it, and everything's perfect, I never get sick, then there's no test there to see how I react. It's only when I get angry at things that Allah can see, okay, let me see how He's going to react. It's only when I have certain needs that Allah says, okay, let me see, is, 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 here, is he or she going to take the halal route or the haram route? How is he going to react to this need? I, there are certain pleasures I'm after. How is he going to satisfy them? And so on and so forth. So that's what it's all about. Verse number... Uh, 140 on page 67. It says, If a wound afflicts you, a similar wound has already afflicted those people. And we make such days of varying fortunes rotate among mankind. This is the important part and I love this verse and this part of the verse. I love it. We'll talk about it. So we do this so that Allah may ascertain those who have faith. Right? So it's a test. Allah wants to see who has faith. Who's going to live up to the faith? And that He may take witnesses from among you and Allah does not like the wrongdoers. Okay, so what this witnesses means here, we don't want to get into that. Uh, it's not relevant right now to the lesson we want to take from these from this verse. If you want to do a, a, a word-for-word translation, 
It's saying these are the days that we rotate between the people. Okay, the days. Days here means days of life, of varying fortunes. I like how they've translated it. I think it gets the message across. Every day has its own fortune in it for me. One day is good, one day is bad, one day is worse, one day is horrible, one day is as good as it gets, right? All these things. So everyone is going to have these ups and downs. These days are handed back and forth like a torch to, di to different people. All right? And so in the story of Uhud, what happened was the Muslims were upset. They lost the battle. They got really beat up bad. And uh, they're probably thinking to themselves, like, why? Well, of course, it was their own shortcoming that they lost that battle. But at the end of the day, they're like, they're upset. But there was a big lesson in this for them. That, look, God will help you as long as you help yourselves, number one. Um, and, and alhamdulillah, they, they passed the test the second time, right? The first time they, they failed it when it was in the, in the Battle of Uhud. But then after it, when the Prophet said, we have to go back and intercept them, they listened. And so this was uh, a success after failure. So they are learning from their mistakes already to, to go by what the Prophet tells them, right? But these are the days, brothers and sisters. This is life. One day you win, one day you lose. One day you're the most richest person in the world, one day you're not. One day you're Bill Gates, one day you're Elon Musk, one day you're, I don't know, uh, Jeff Bezos of, uh, of, if it's Amazon, if I get his name right. Like, uh, it's just how it is. You know, one day this is the highest guy, one day it's the other guy. They come and go these days, right? So when you are one day on top of things and then another day you're being crushed, don't be upset looking at others. No, these are things come and go. Yeah, one day Facebook is, is, is where it's at. Then all of a sudden everyone goes to Twitter. And then you got Instagram, TikTok, and then Clubhouse. All of a sudden, the, that Facebook, which was everything, is so uncool now. You know, we're talking in 2021. Who knows what the future holds? One day all the younger ones are on Facebook. Now it's all the older ones. You know, that's how it works. Now Instagram was the biggest thing. All of a sudden you find that other things are taking its place a little bit here and there, you know. Whatever happened to, um, uh, there was another one, what was it called? I even forget what it's called. Snapchat, I think it was called. Like, does that, is that even a thing anymore? That's just how it is. One day it's for this, one day it's for that. One day it's, uh, let's talk NBA. One day it's Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen doing their thing in the late, in the mid-90s the three-peat after him coming back from retirement. Then all of a sudden, you got Penny Hardaway and Shaq. Then all of a sudden, you have, I don't know, Kobe and Shaq. And Dwayne Wade and Shaq. And, and then like all these super teams coming up later. You know, you've got uh, LeBron going to the, to the Miami Heat. And they win a, a championship or two there. I don't remember what, how many they won, but like one or two there, you know, with Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade. And all of a sudden, it's them. Then after that, all of a sudden, it's the, I don't know, the Warriors are, are the super team, or the Celtics of Kevin Garnett and them. And then the Warriors get Kevin Durant and all of that. Brothers and sisters, those of you who don't know these names, it's okay. This is just, uh, these are just examples for the younger ones. Every day, every season, every year is going to be for somebody. Before you know it, the same Warriors who are invincible, and no matter how much LBJ is trying to beat them, they can't. All of a sudden, they lose KD, and then now they're like one of the worst teams maybe, you know? 
That's just how the, that's just how it, the times are. All of a sudden people are talking about the Brooklyn Nets being the next super team with James Harden, KD and Kyrie, you know? That's just how it is. One day it's the Banu Umayyah, one day it's the Banu Abbas, one day it's the Ottomans, one day it's uh, the British Empire, the Soviet Union comes in, it's the US and all of that. One day is this, one day is that, one day is this Prime Minister, one day it's that King, one day it's that President. They come and they go. This just shows the temporal nature of the dunya we're in, brothers and sisters. There's nothing stable. The only thing stable is the haqq, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and anything that is somehow stuck to Him and clinging to Him and associated with Him. And that's what we need to do. We need to cling to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That brings me to Ayatullah Bahjat and what he said. And it's a very, very famous one as well. This is uh, one of those quotes that we know he has said for sure. That um, in the heat of, uh, of, of Qom, when it was hot and you know they tried to get him a fan and they eventually got him a fan for when he was praying. And he um, still the fan wasn't enough and he was sweating. One day it says, uh, his son says he turned around uh, it says that his, um, he turned around to his son when he was after Salat and he's like drenched in his, in his sweat, Ayatullah Bahjat. He says, I'll, I'll say the Farsi and then I'll translate it. Uh, for those of you who understand Farsi, he says, Agar salatina alam lezzat namaz ra dark mi kardan be dunwali lezzat hai digar dunya nemi raftan. That these salatin, these kings of the world, if they knew the pleasure in salat, if they understood the pleasure of salat, they wouldn't go after other pleasures. One of them being, you know, the power that they have and they love so much. Why? These things are temporal. One day you are at the top, one day you are hanging uh, from a rope and they are executing you. Saddam Hussein was at the top, then all of a sudden he's hanging, they're hanging him. One day you're the Fir'aun, the next day you're drowning in the sea. So we're not going to get too happy or upset with things that we attain, and we're going to sit back, and we're going to cling to those things that matter, that are stable, like what Ayatollah Bahjad said, Allah, Salat, these things. And as spectators, brothers and sisters, watch, sit back and watch the show. Sit back and watch the show of Tilkal Ayyam Nudawiluha Bainan Naz. I remember when I was a kid, we're like, Saddam Hussein, never. I mean, he's going to be there forever. Never is he going to be removed. 10 years, 15, 20 years later, Saddam Hussein. Now our children don't even know who Saddam Hussein is. Khalas. Intahatil Usa. The story is over. That's just Tilkal Ayyam. I love this verse and I love that sentence in this verse. And I personally repeat it a lot of times when I see that this president is gone now, that prime minister is gone, this king died. وفي الجنة رفيقا ومن النار سترا وحجابا وإلى الخيرات كلها دليلا برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته